0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, April 1st, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, E3 is officially canceled for the year, which is making people wonder if it's officially dead and we just don't know it yet. More signs of serious trouble in the food delivery space. Facebook has fixed a bug that let harmful content into the newsfeed for around six months. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. After announcing in January that the in-person E3 2022 had been cancelled, the ESA has informed its partners that there will be no digital event equivalent for E3 this year either, so no E3. It has been fully cancelled, which one has to wonder, does that mean E3 is dead? Quoting IGN. The ESA had initially planned for an in-person E3 event this year after having no event in 2020 due to COVID-19 and a digital one in 2021. However, this was canceled in January, with the ESA at the time unable to make a public statement on whether or not there would be a digital equivalent. According to sources speaking to IGN at the time, discussions around E3 had been fraught throughout the year, with third parties normally involved finding the ESA's ongoing silence regarding their plans frustrating." Sources connected to the event tell IGN that discussions about a possible digital equivalent have been going on ever since, but without strong momentum to drive them. Instead, the ESA seems to be making plans to regroup for a larger comeback in 2023. The ESA has shared an official statement with IGN confirming E3 2022's cancellation And announcing that E3 will return in 2023 with a reinvigorated showcase, quote, We will devote all our energy and resources to delivering a revitalized physical and digital E3 experience next summer, whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices. The 2023 showcase will bring the community, media and industry back together for an all new format and interactive experience. We look forward to presenting E3 to fans around the world live from Los Angeles in 2023, end quote. The ESA adds that the 2022 showcase has been cancelled so the organization can, quote, focus its resources on the 2023 show, end quote. You gotta wonder, though. And I'm not alone in wondering, quoting Griffin Miller on Twitter. Sad to see E3 go, but this was honestly inevitable with pretty much every game company changing focus to running their own press events, end quote. And quoting Nintendo Fangirl on Twitter, We're going to have a lot to talk about in coming months. This is the first year in a long time that we don't have any form of E3. Do we need it? Not really, but it was helpful in getting game devs to condense their announcements a bit and getting audiences to pay attention. End quote. Of course, the reason for doubting E3 is the question as to whether or not COVID times have changed people's perception of the necessity. Of all sorts of big industry confabs like E3. And on a similar line of COVID times fallout, even going into the fall of last year, the big bull case was that COVID times had trained all of society to shift over to food delivery apps. The argument was that this was a natural societal shift, like the shift to e commerce, that instead of taking a decade to play out, played out in basically 18 months. And society wasn't going back, except... Bloomberg notes that three European food delivery stocks, Delivery Hero, Just Eat and Deliveroo, lost a combined $23.7 billion, more than half of their market value, in just the first quarter of this year. Now, this is a slightly different story than the 15-minute delivery players since those are private companies and we're talking now about publicly traded stocks. We're talking about proven business models too, which in theory the Gopuffs of the world are not yet. And yet, when you take this news together with the issues those private companies have been facing, dot, 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 quoting Bloomberg. Shares in Delivery Hero plunged 59% last quarter, the second worst performance in Europe's Stocks 600 index. Peers Just Eat Takeaway and Deliveroo dropped more than 35%. The three stocks wiped out a combined $23.7 billion, more than half their market value. While it's no surprise when tech stocks struggle in times of rising borrowing costs, the sharp slump in food delivery shares underscores the penalties markets can impose on companies for prioritizing growth when they are yet to turn a profit. Companies in the sector have done a bad job of adjusting their strategies to the rising cost of capital. Jeffrey's analyst Giles Thorne said in an interview, quote, The cost of capital goes up you don't make money, and you've got debt. Then that's how equity gets crushed, end quote. The fear of losing market share has driven increased spending even as sliding equity valuations signaled investor disapproval. Just Eat expanded into the UK grocery delivery market in December after previously saying the category lacked scale. Delivery Hero agreed to buy a majority stake in Glovo in a transaction that valued the Spanish delivery startup at 2.3 billion euros. The Glovo deal continues to Baphilus, HSBC analyst led by Andrew Porteous, said in a March 25 note, Delivery Hero expects Glovo to post a loss of 330 million euros in 2022 alone. Challenges are also coming at food delivery players from all sides. Inflation is squeezing consumer budgets, while competition is as heated as ever with startups like Getir and Gorillas pushing into rapid grocery delivery. Plus, the rapid growth achieved a year ago will be hard to repeat now that the pandemic-generated sales surge has passed. Volatility in food delivery stocks will remain high until the sector is closer to becoming self-funding, Thorin at Jeffries said. That remains months or years away. Deliveroo, for example, aims to reach break even on an adjusted EBITDA basis between the second half of 2023 and the first half of 2024. So, is this a case of yes, consumer behavior change accelerated, but it was at a pace too rapid for the companies involved to actually handle? Meta has been forced to admit a now-fixed Facebook bug led to a massive ranking failure that increased views of harmful content by 30% over the past six months, quoting The Verge. A group of Facebook engineers identified a quote massive ranking failure that exposed as much as half of all newsfeed views to potential integrity risks over the past six months, according to an internal report on the incident obtained by The Verge. The engineers first noticed the issue last October when a sudden surge of misinformation began flowing through the newsfeed, notes the report, which was shared inside the company last week. Instead of suppressing posts from repeat misinformation offenders that were reviewed by the company's network of outside fact checkers, the news Newsfeed was instead giving the post distribution, spiking views by as much as 30% globally. Unable to find the root cause, the engineers watched the surge subside a few weeks later and then flare up repeatedly until the ranking issue was fixed on March 11th. In addition to posts flagged by fact-checkers, the internal investigation found that, during the bug period, Facebook systems failed to properly demote probable nudity, violence, and even Russian state media the social network recently pledged to stop recommending in response to the country's invasion of Ukraine. The issue was internally designated a Level 1 SEV, or site event, a label reserved for high-priority technical crises like Russia's ongoing block of Facebook and Instagram. Meta spokesperson Joe Osborne confirmed the incident in a statement to The Verge, saying the company, quote, detected inconsistencies in downranking on five separate occasions, which correlated with small temporary increases to internal metrics, end quote. The internal document said the technical issue was first introduced in 2019, but didn't create a noticeable impact until October 2021. We traced the root cause to a software bug and applied needed fixes, said Osborne, adding that the bug, quote, has not had any meaningful long-term impact on our metrics and didn't apply to content that met its system's threshold for deletion, end quote. (music) Quick note that Apple has released iOS 15.4.1, iPadOS 15.4.1, and macOS 12.3.1 to fix two zero days that, quote, may have been actively exploited. So, Take this weekend to update all your things, and note that Apple has fixed five zero days thus far in 2022, and we just finished Q1. Something that used to be rare seems to be happening quite a bit lately. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy with constant contact you'll reach new audiences grow your customer list and communicate more effectively to sell more raise more and fast track growth don't know much about marketing no sweat constant contacts writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time every time plus you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to constant contacts best in class 97 percent deliverability rate I use this, and you should, too, tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. I continue to love rest of world for giving us news on how technology is changing society in, as the name implies, the rest of the world. According to this article, e-commerce giants don't reliably deliver to the remote islands of Polynesia, and yet Polynesians like e-commerce as much as anyone, so locals have stepped up to make their own online shopping services. Quote, Until recently, huge distances, a scattered population, and lack of internet access have made e-commerce unviable in French Polynesia. In the last few years, however, a nascent courier scene has taken off, making it possible for islanders to access an ocean of e-commerce products that were previously unavailable. As the global online shopping market continues to grow, a trend that has been augmented by the COVID-19 pandemic, local services are closing the gaps for those living in some of the world's most remote places. To place an order, customers send a request through Facebook Messenger. Then a service like HM Coursier Express offers to source and deliver anything a customer might want, from fresh fruit and vegetables to clothing or even a car. The company's couriers shop for the products, package them, and then ship them by air or cargo ship. HM Coursier Express also handles online order deliveries for many local businesses." End quote. Read the whole article. These are literally businesses where somebody buys a truck or a boat and then goes into business for themselves. The only difference is they might be delivering to 300 different islands. Then the New York Times has a look at At Depths of Wikipedia, a viral social media account created by a 22-year-old named Annie Rawerda that shares bizarre, amusing, and surprising Wikipedia snippets. Quote, did you know that there's a Swiss political party dedicated to opposing the use of PowerPoint? That some people believe Avro Levine died in 2003 and was replaced by a lookalike? Or that there's a stone in a museum in Taiwan that uncannily resembles a slab of meat? Probably not, unless that is, you're one of the hundreds of thousands of people who follow at depths of Wikipedia. The Instagram account shares bizarre and surprising snippets from the vast crowdsourced online encyclopedia, including amusing images, a chicken literally crossing a road, and minor moments in history, Mitt Romney driving several hours with his dog atop his car. Some posts are wholesome, such as Hatsumi, the Japanese word for one's first dream of the year, while others are are not safe for work, say, panda pornography. Ms. Rawerda's followers often pitch her Wikipedia pages to feature, but these days, it's hard to find an entry that will impress Ms. Rawerda. Quote, If it's a fun fact that's been on the Reddit homepage, I'm definitely not going to repost it, she said. For example, there are only 25 blimps in the entire world. I've known about that for a long time, and it went around Twitter a couple days ago. I was shocked. I was like, everybody knows this, end quote then. I don't always agree with him, but when Tech Dirt's Mike Maznick writes a big essay, it's usually worth reading. And so I give you the provocative argument Mike makes that moderating content, say on social networks, actually does more to support the principles of free speech than just, you know, letting everything rip. Quote, Content moderation involves taking down or otherwise restricting some speech, and so that automatically feels like it must go against free speech. But the reality is a lot more nuanced to the point that content moderation clearly actually enables more free speech. First, let's look at the world without any content moderation. A website that has no content moderation but allows anyone to post will fill up with spam. Even this tiny website gets thousands of spam comments a day. Most of them are thankfully caught by the layers upon layers of filtering tools we've set up. Would anyone argue that it is against the principles of free speech to filter spam? I would hope not. But once you've admitted that it's okay to filter spam, you've already admitted that content moderation is okay. You're just haggling over how much and where to draw the lines. And really, the spam example is instructive in many ways. People recognize that if a website is overrun with spam, it's actually detrimental for speech overall, because how can anyone communicate when all of the communication is interrupted or hard to find due to spam? So moderating spam seems to quite clearly enable more free speech by making platforms for speech more usable. Without such moderation, the platforms would get less use, and people would be less likely to be able to speak in the same manner. Now let's expand that circle out as well. There's increasing evidence that when you have a totally free-form venue for free speech, it makes many people hold back and not join in. For all the talk of cancel culture that relies on claims that people are somehow afraid to speak their minds, they should maybe consider that the problem might not be cancel culture, but that some people don't want to have to constantly debate their beliefs with every rando who challenges them. In other words, a full open forum is not all that conducive to free speech either, because it's too much." End quote. From Wired, a weird nugget of rando history, you know that grunt your character makes when it's jumping in a video game? It's like the Wilhelm scream of gaming, and yet even the folks we think are responsible for making that grunting noise in the first place, part of the gaming landscape, in this case John Romero, is not quite sure where it came from. Quote, the HUP." as it's sometimes known, is the onomatopoetic vocalization of effort given by the player character when initiating a jump, while a graceful bloop Traces back to Donkey Kong, if not earlier, and Z axis movement dates to the vehicular combat sims of the mid 70s. A human character jumping in first person perspective wouldn't be achieved until 1992's Ultima Underworld, the Stygian Abyss, released two months before BJ Blazkowicz would begin clearing bunkers full of Nazis with both feet firmly planted on the ground. Other sounds were a far higher priority for shooters, like the blast of a shotgun or a groan when falling from a damaging height. Even purely environmental sounds with no mechanical value, like the sloshing of a bathtub in the colony, predate the HUP. And why not? Guns are loud, people in pain groan or shriek, water gurgles, but most people do not sound like they've taken a punch to the liver when they become airborne it's not even immediately clear what the HUP adds to the gameplay experience that the shifting screen perspective wouldn't already convey. The jump wouldn't be meaningfully tied to the HUP in the popular imagination until 1996's Quake, and much like the 459 hertz tone of a return volley in Pong, Quake's iconic meaty jump was not the product of conscious design, end quote. And finally, an essay from the great Andy Bayo about a new documentary... About the dude who was the Star Wars kid, one of the biggest viral videos of the pre-YouTube era. Since Bio himself played an outsized role in making that meme go viral, he was interviewed for the documentary and subsequently got to meet the kid. No longer a kid, obviously. Gislaine Raza, the the at-the-time kid who was the subject of the much-mocked lightsaber kata video. Quote, After the documentary taping, we all met up for drinks on the roof deck at Revolution Hall, where we hold XOXO every year, and then went out for dinner and more drinks until late at night. This time, Ghislaine and I were able to talk privately off-camera about our lives and families, about the Commodore 64 and typography, finding natural common ground. When he was younger, he was really into computers, but for obvious reasons, Ghislaine spent much of his life offline after 2003. Like so many others, I saw my geeky teenage self when first watching the Star Wars Kid video, and sitting across from this 34-year-old man, I saw a parallel world version of myself in my 30s. I first fell in love with the internet at age 15, the age Ghislaine was when he made the video. That night, I couldn't help but wonder how his life would have changed if it had never happened. I was surprised to see that in the final film, there's a moment where Gislaine talks about our meeting and wonders exactly the same thing. I hope you take the time to watch it, end quote. All right, we do not have a Twitter space to share with you this week. Chris has been busy. I've got this cold that you can probably still hear in my voice. However, I do have a bonus episode for you. It's an interview with Justin Santa Maria, who you could make an argument for as the father of modern messaging. Justin was a lead engineer on various aspects of the earliest iPhones, so he was responsible for the development of things like iMessage, FaceTime, even, you know, the blue-green text bubbles. He's got lots of great inside Apple stories to share, lots of great Steve Jobs stories, I literally asked him at one point, what was the time you interacted with Steve when you were the most on cloud nine? And when was the time Steve made you so scared you were on the verge of peeing your pants? Lots of great Apple background from an era of that company that I've not really talked to a ton of people about. This will eventually go up as an internet history podcast episode, but I'm going to share it with you first this weekend. So enjoy that. Talk to you on Monday.